so it's sweet to be here. I think I only know one of the churches, so uh, Pastor Jeff's church, where, where's that church at? Yeah. So I recognize some of your faces, so it's so good to be with you again. I was with you in the summer. Now, for the rest of you guys, I, um, <clears throat> I'm put in a little awkward position. Whenever you talk to a group of people who don't know you, it's kind of weird because you don't know me, and you're like, bro, why should I listen to you? I don't know you. And I get it. I get it. Like, if I were in your shoes, I'd be like, who's this guy? You you don't know me at all. You don't know where I come from. You don't know my motivations. You don't know my background, if I'm at all relevant or I could connect with you, all that kind of stuff. And so in the very few minutes, whenever a preacher speaks, it's it's like a a make or break kind of situation. Because you guys are like, Sam, I'm going to give you 30 seconds (laughs) to, to, to prove to me you're worth listening to. And, and I'm always full of anxiety as I think and pray, and I stay up at night thinking, what should I say in the beginning? You know, I could start with some sort of like cheap Asian joke, because when I was a youth pastor, you throw out a cheap Asian joke, and all the kids, oh, that's so funny, and then and you're like, okay, I'll get, maybe I'll listen to you, right? Or maybe I just kind of loosely tie in some story about my life that's really captivating, interesting, and maybe they'll get your attention. But then I was like, man, I don't even know that. I, I'm not funny enough. I'm like medium funny, and I'm not that interesting. But, but, but when I was a youth pastor about 10 years ago, we had a really amazing youth group, and the youth group really thrived, and I really connected with them, and, and, I, and I always try to think about what worked there. Why was I able to connect? And I think three reasons why I was able to connect with my youth group as a youth pastor. One, they had a sense that I actually loved them and cared for them, my wife and I. Uh, we had one child that, then, now we have three more, so I send greetings from Minneapolis from my kids. They want to be here, and they're crazy about camp, and they love you guys, and they're really sad and that daddy's not with them. Um, but I'm with you guys here um, in their stead, and, uh, and that's a loss for you guys because my kids are awesome. <laughs> but the first reason why is because the students really felt like I cared for them, and I do, and it wasn't just talk. The second reason is that I think that they had a sense that I really believed in this stuff. They're like, man, that guy really believes in that stuff. And I really do. I really believe the gospel is the answer, the modern-day cure for everything everything we need, and and I've given my life to it. And then the third reason why is that because I treated with respect the students. I did not treat you guys like little kids. I did not treat you like little babies that you guys have been told, people tell youth leaders and stuff are like, all right, kids, they have no attention span, you know? They have like attention span of a goldfish, all right? So you gotta do a lot of lights and, and all the ADD and all this stuff and like, you know, get their attention and do a lot of stuff and, and, and maybe they can handle one little nugget of truth that's a little watered down. And what I've noticed is that most people don't want that. Some of you guys are craving for more. You want reality. Some of you guys come from really messed up homes like I did and you're, you're longing and aching for something real. You want something more, and you don't want to play the church game. You don't want to come through and just do, get all hyped up and go back normal. You want to encounter reality. And so I brought truth, and, and, and my students responded to that because they were longing for more. They are longing for truth. They, they were sick of the phony stuff in our culture. They wanted something solid, something real, something authentic. And they saw the hypocrisy of their family, maybe even of their churches, and they wanted something real. And so I'm going to do the same thing here. That's my grand, funny, interesting hook of an intro, is I'm going to treat you like adults, right? I'm going to treat you like you guys want something real. You ache for something more. And I know, some, I know this is a mixed crowd. 
I know some of you guys have been doing the church game your whole life. You know the whole thing. You know how to say the right things. You know right when the song goes E minor, you're like, oh, raise my hands. Like, you know, you know how to play the game, and your heart's far from God. And I know some of you guys, you're near God, and you're hungry, and you're excited, and you want to go deeper. And I know some of you guys are here because you were manipulated and dragged along here. And you're like, whoa, dang, this is Jesus camp? Man, somebody fooled you, and you're here. But you're here now. I'm sorry they manipulated you, right? But you're here, and let's make the most of it. And I know some of you guys are here because you can't stand being home, right? And I can make a joke out of that because we're all, like, bragging on our parents. It's so easy. They're really easy targets, right? Like, oh, our parents, right? But some of you guys are like, man, my parents, or the lack of my parents. And I'm so excited to be at camp because I just get away from their presence because it's so hard at home. And I know what that's like. I know what it's like growing up as a high school, well, my whole life until I left my home, crying at night at times and just saying, God, why can't I have a normal family? Why can't my family be like that one? Or why can't my dad be like that dad? Or, or, or my mom not be so like my mom, Lord? I, I know what that feels like. And I know some of you guys are here and it's just, you're just here just to breathe. You're here to get away. I know some of you guys are here because there's some girl here, some guy here, and you're here for them. I get that. I get that. Youth group's a great place to meet people. Uh, but that's, that's not why God has you here. You may be here for a lot of different reasons. You may be here and you think it's a mistake you're here, and you're just, you're just here and you're just waiting for it to end. Uh, but God has a reason why you're here. And he wants to re- reveal himself to you this week. I'm excited about that. I know some of you guys don't believe in God. You don't know God, but he is real, and he's pursuing you, and he wants you to know him. And I'm excited to be a messenger for him. And I'm excited to be your servant this week. Now, this week, we're going to be going into deep, deeper into God's word than some of you guys are ever used to. And there's going to be times where I'm going to say things in, from this pulpit, from this stage, that you're going to love. And you're going to be like, yes, your heart's going to soar. You're going to say, yes, I love that. I love that. Amen. I want that. I love that. And, and the question you should, should not ask is if you like it or if what I'm saying sounds good, but is it true? Is it true? Is this what God's word says? And on the other hand, there's going to be times I'm going to say some, something from here, and you're going to be like, man, that's, that pisses me off, Sam. I'm offended. How dare you say that? I don't like that. And again, the same question you should ask is not if you like it or not, or if it rubs you right or wrong, is it true? See, because I'm here to be a messenger from, the, from God's word. Because ultimately, you shouldn't listen to me this weekend because I'm relevant or because I'm Asian. You're like, oh, well, I mean, there's like no Asians here, right? Like, there, or, or for any other reason or because I'm standing on stage. But because you have a Bible open, and if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. And you see what I'm saying is what this is saying. Because if I'm saying what this is saying, that this is actually coming from God and not me. And it's coming with his authority And it's as if God himself is speaking to you, if I'm accurately representing this. So that's my goal is to accurately represent this. Because in our culture, we often listen to whoever is loudest or most passionate or most sensational. And we're like, oh, I guess what they're telling us is true. Because they're really excited and they're really uh, colorful and charismatic. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter if I'm charismatic or if I'm funny or serious or whatever. If it's true, that's why you should listen. Because if it's true, these truths are the most significant truths in the world. They're the most consequential truths. Because if what I'm saying is true, then it changes everything. If I'm wrong, then it changes everything. And as the Apostle Paul says, if I'm wrong about the resurrection, I'm wrong about these truths, then we Christians are most to be pitied out of the whole world. And so whether you're an atheist here or searching, a skeptic, 
you got real questions about God, you're in a great place, and I'm so glad you're here. And, and I just really ask you to be honest this week. Be honest about your doubts. Be honest about your pain, your questions about God. God, if you're good, why this? Why? Bring up those questions. God can handle it. He's got big boy pants on. He's not some insecure God that you question him. He gets all mad and offended. He can handle it. He can handle it more than you know. He can handle your hurts. He can handle your anger even and your frustrations. Now let's, let's talk about a little bit about Jonah. Maddie asked you a question that I was in the backstage so I couldn't see your hands. Would you raise your hand if you grew up um, knowing about Jonah? Okay, that's helpful for me to know. Now, could you raise your hand if you just grew up not with Jonah, not in the church at all? Okay, a handful of you guys. Hey, I love you guys. Thanks for being here. So good. So glad. Now, here's the problem. Those who did not grow up in the church, you are actually in a, you have an advantage. See, because the thing about Jonah is that Jonah has been so overplayed. I looked at 13 children's books before I came out here just to see, like, what did children, children hear about Jonah? And usually when you hear about Jonah, you hear Jonah and the what? Whale, right? And yet the big fish is only in like three sentences in the entire book. It's not about the whale. The whale is really, really, really low. It's not probably even a whale. We don't know what it is. It's really low on the totem pole of importance in this book. And yet, because if you grew up in church, you have a very, very likely, a very skewed understanding about what Jonah is all about. And you've been vegetailed. And we need to detox you from vegetail. All right? Veggie is fine for little kids, but this book, actually, if you actually understand what's in this book, it's actually an adult book. It's not for kids. If you actually understand the different things that's going on in this book, it's actually for adults. In fact, some of the biggest issues in our culture are answered, like racism. What's the solution to racism? A lot of people have ideas. I, I live seven blocks from where George Floyd died. So, I, I mean, I, that's been in my face. I've been living that, dealing with with all the different solutions to racism for, for a few years now and before then, many other different shootings and, and killings and situations. And so I'm hearing all these different solutions. And you know what? None of them can ultimately work long-term. This book actually gives you the solution to racism Amen. and more, prejudice. How do we think about enemies? Now, right now, we're, in a, we're, we're seeing a modern-day war right in front of our face, Ukraine and Russia. How do you deal, if you, go, you guys were Ukrainian, how do you handle thinking about how do you feel towards Putin? How do you feel towards the Russian people and the army invading your homeland? How do we handle this? This book may be thousands of years old, but it's extremely relevant for every single one of us. I mean, every single one of us here. Every single one of us. And I hope to show you that. And, and I know that some of you guys don't know that this is God's word yet. But this is his word, his, his authoritative word, and it's a message for you. And I hope as this weekend goes on and further, you're going to more and more see that this is God's voice. And he wants to share something with you. He wants to reveal ultimately his heart because that's what this book gets at. More than the whale or anything like that, it gets at the heart of God. What is God like? That's a good question to ask, good question to wonder about because however God is like changes everything. Is he a good God? Is he a merciful God? Is he a just God? Is he a trustworthy God? You need to know what God is like, and based off of that changes everything. Now, so I want to do this. I want to pray with you, but before I do, I want to really urge you to be honest. I know some of you guys don't want to be here right now. I know you guys, this is late. I mean, I never preach at 914. 
at my normal church, if I preached that 9 to 14, people would just be out, right? Because we've got a bunch of young parents, so like they're sleeping, right? And I know that, that you guys are coming from a lot of different backgrounds, and some of you guys are coming with a lot of pain, a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt, a lot of different things, but you're here, and I want to make the most of this week. God has you here, even if you don't believe in him. He does. He has you here. And so I got a couple questions, uh, uh, points to pray up. It's going to be on the screen. I want to invite you to, if you're willing to do this, to close your eyes. And I, well, not actually, you need to read. Sorry, you can't read with your eyes closed. And, uh, and you can see these three things that I just want to ask you to pray, honestly. Even if you don't believe in God, you say like, you know, God, if you're real, help me make the most of this week. And if you're real, please reveal yourself to me in greater ways. If you're a church kid growing up, believe it or not, there's so much more of God that you do not know yet. Don't think that you've already mastered him. You domesticated him like a little a pet that you can just train. There's so much more. Ask God to show more of him to you. And then three, ask God to show you where are you at with him? What's your relationship with God like? Whether it's non-existent, distant, or near, or somewhere in between and conflicted. So you can use any of these questions or all of them right now to just pray. And so with that in mind, would you be so kind to close your eyes? And I just say close your eyes so you can focus. I'm not trying to do something behind your back, but would you just close your eyes and for the next just one minute or two, two minutes, just pray these, these prayers. Maybe it's the first time you've prayed in a long time or if ever. Prayer, you're just talking to God and he wants to hear you. Father, I love you, and I'm so privileged to speak about you, and yet I do know that even if I had the tongues of an angel, I would still fall short to show how beautiful you are, how good you are, and yet the issue is, is not how good you are and how beautiful you are, the issue is how dull our hearts are, how twisted our hearts can be, so obscured your glory and your goodness and your worth and your reality, so I pray that you would open up the eyes of everyone's hearts. Every single person has eyes in their hearts, spiritual eyes, and let them see and behold you, Jesus. See and behold you through this, these messages, through this camp, through their conversations, through their counselors, through, through the text, Lord, and that you would reveal yourself, maybe even for the first time, even for the heart here who's skeptical towards you, who are, who's hurt towards you, who have who have angry heart thoughts towards you, Lord, that you'd be so merciful to meet every single one of us. And for those who do know you, that, that you would take them deeper and closer to you than ever before. Father, help me tell the truth and nothing but the truth. <clears throat> help me be faithful. Empower me. Give me concision of speech and authority as I preach your word. Thank you, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, thanks for praying. Listen, if you didn't pray... That's okay. I just encourage you. Hey, God, God has his, he's, he's listening. He's ready for you. And so when you're ready to open your mouth and be honest with him, he's ready and he can handle it.
Let's jump into the text. Now, it's going to be on the screen, and I want to ask you guys to read this out loud with me, if you can. And by the end of this whole uh, series in this week, weekend, you'll have read through the whole book of Jonah, at least in the chapel. Now, would you read this out loud? Now, the word of the Lord. Come on. Hello. Oh, okay. Well, we'll start over again. Okay, listen, guys. So, so I don't know. I know that you guys have been in COVID school, and you guys are like technically like two years behind, and reading's tough. I think you guys, like this is high school, right? You guys can read. And um, I'm sorry, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to make fun of you guys. But I do know that it's been hard. School's been hard and stuff like that. But, but, but trust me, these messages will go better if you read along. It, God's going to move through it. So would you read out loud with me? All right. Now the word of the Lord. Awesome. So you guys do know how to read. That's good. All right, good. All right. Yeah, man, my kids just went to school on Monday without masks for the first time. And my daughter, Eden, is six. She has never been to school without a mask with her kids. So it's tough. It's been tough. It's been hard, guys. It's a hard season. Hard season. So I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you're refreshed in more ways than you know. Now, the book of Jonah starts off in an abrupt way because the book of Jonah is one book out of 66 books in the Bible and it's literature, it's history. And if you ever read any literature in school, you don't just start, usually there's some some context behind that book. There's usually characters that the original audience who received that, that book would know. But for us, you know, high schoolers in New England, this is very foreign. We're not, we're only, we're we're crossing thousands of years of history, as well as a different culture, a different language. This was originally written in Hebrew. So there's a lot of jumps that we have to make. There's a, there's a bridge that we have to make to understand. And so I'm going to try to be your guide to help you understand, because this is a different culture. It wasn't originally written to you, but it is for you. It is for you and it's relevant for you, but it wasn't originally written for you directly. Now, There's three main characters I want to highlight quickly, and throughout this whole weekend, we're going to go deeper into them, so right now is just going to be a quick blitz introduction. So who are the Ninevites, who's the Lord, and who's Jonah? Now, first, Nineveh. Nineveh. Nineveh what? Nineveh. Okay, Nineveh was one of the chief cities of Assyria. Think modern-day Iraq. Okay, this is a real city. This is not fictitious. This actually was a real place, real people, real, and it happened. Now, the thing about Assyria, it was the world's superpower in that day. And they were known as a terrorist state. They were a brutal people. So if you were to think about, oh, what's a wicked country out there right now? You guys could probably shout out different countries out there that you think about. Assyria would be the first country that people would think about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brutal country, Assyria. Wicked, messed up people, Assyria. Oh, those Assyrians, right? So how would you feel towards Assyria back then if you were an Israelite? Well, imagine how the average Ukrainian who's fleeing from their homeland and had seen people die feel towards Vladimir Putin. You, you tracking with me? That's how they feel. That's, that's, that's how Assyria is in light of their relationship with Israel. They, they're known for massacring their people, destroying their people. We're going to get into more details about them tomorrow. Now, the second character I want to highlight is the Lord. It doesn't show it on the screen right now, but typically if you have a Bible, the Lord is going to be in all caps. The Lord in all caps. If you look at your Bible, you're going to see the Lord is in all caps, and that's God's personal covenant name for his people, Yahweh. Okay, It's his personal 
special name that's only for his people. And we'll talk more about that later, but it's, it's unique and special. And anytime you see the Lord without caps like that, and just it's a generic term, Adonai, which is Lord. Now, the final character I want to highlight quickly is that this character, Jonah, and his people, Israel. At this time, Israel was actually prospering. They were bawling. They were uh, getting back territory they lost. Back in the days of King David, King uh, Solomon, and it was the glory days. And Jonah was a prophet for the king, and he prophesied that this king, King Jeroboam II, would take back all this land. And it happened. And so people are like, man, Jonah, you're a legit prophet. You're the man. You said we're going to get back our land, and we got to back our land. But here's the thing. How many of you know that you could be prospering financially and physically, but be spiritually bankrupt? See, this was a reality for the people of Israel. Even though they were bawling and they had money in the bank, they were comfortable, they had the land back, they were doing well, the crops were ripe, they were spiritually bankrupt. And Jonah was complicit. He was part of that. He was a big patriot. He loved Israel. He's all, you know, he had this Israel, Israeli flag. He probably had a little, he couldn't get tattoos, but he would have a tattoo in his heart, right? He was all about Israel. And so God is calling this very patriotic prophet to then go to his enemies to preach. Look at Jonah 1, 1 through 2. I'm switching translations now, but... Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up against me. What? Say what, God? What? You want me to go to them? Are you kidding me? Now we're going to talk more tomorrow about how ridiculous this is, but hopefully just by me giving you a little bit of that background and maybe a little bit about this, this live production you just saw, that strikes you a little differently. It wasn't like, oh, hey, go over to your friends. No, no, no. Go to Nineveh. Nineveh. It's like, imagine when you say Nineveh, you just have like, just, just you want to throw up in your mouth. It's like, those are the, the kind of people. No, I don't want to go there, God. Go to my mortal enemies. And I want to make a quick two points here. God is sending Jonah to bring a message of judgment, and it's a blessing. What I mean by that are warnings are mercy. Warnings are blessings. Let me, let me just use a silly illustration. Imagine you go out to that pond, that big pond out there, and you're playing some, sometime tomorrow, right? And you're on your own. You ditched your counselor. You tied them up. You're, you're out on your own. You're hanging out. You're playing on the ice. You're just having a great time playing on the ice. And you're thinking, man, this ice is super solid. We could do whatever we want. And then all of a sudden, some old grandpa comes out of a door, out of one of the cabins, starts saying, yeah, you kids, get off that ice. And you're like, oh, who's this joker over here yelling at us? How dare him? We'll tie him up too, or whatever, right? And you're like, what, what, what is he saying? Why is he yelling and pointing at the ice? And, and, and he gets closer and he says, hey, kids, listen, every week kids come out here and they die. <laughs> they fall through the ice. It looks like it's solid, but they fall through and they die. And then all of a sudden you look at this old guy who you were just about to just, you know, just get, up, get with, and you're like, oh, thank you, man. <laughs> thank you. I'm sorry I cursed you under my breath, right? Thank you for telling me that warning. And even though you're a little offended, your pride is a little hurt, you're going to be grateful. And you walk away from that ice and away from your, your, your icy death. Now, that's a little silly. But in the case of the Syrians, it's not like some harmless thing. This is where my illustration falls apart. It's not like some harmless thing like playing on ice. The Assyrians were a mercenary evil empire, the entire empire built upon wickedness and brutality and torture. 
and kind of things that I can't even share with you without getting in trouble. We'll get into some of it tomorrow. I'll go as far as I can. So God is actually giving them mercy by sending Jonah to show, share with them judgment. You see, the judgment is mercy because he doesn't have to share this message to them. He could just let them die in their wicked sins and get the, let them get what is coming for them. Now, let's make another point here. God says in this phrase up here, back, back on the screen, their evil has come before me. In verse 2, you hear that? The e their evil has come before me. And I just want to share this. There is no evil that has ever been done upon you, students, that God has not seen, that God has not been upset about, wept over, grieved. All of it comes before him. All the evils of the entire world, simultaneously, he is experiencing, he is grieving, he's, he's, he's all there. <clears throat> and he has good plans on how to abolish all that evil. So know that the evil has come before Yahweh, come before God, and he's trying to let Jonah know, I know. You think I don't know? You have been maybe questioning me and my justice and my goodness. I know what they've done, and I've seen it all, and he's seen it all. Everything that's been done wrong to you guys, students, he's seen it, and everything you've done and I've done, he's seen too, and that's something important that we're going to have to get to a little bit later. Now, let's see how Jonah responds to God's call. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. Would you read this out loud with me? But Jonah. Come on, keep going. Let's go. That's pretty good. You guys kind of sped up and you guys were a little lagging behind, but you guys are getting good. This is good. So Jonah is supposed to go about 500 miles east towards Nineveh, or I guess for, for this stage purpose, Nineveh, and then he goes instead 1,500 miles the opposite direction. All right, God says, go this way. He says, all right, I'm going to go that way. Now, now listen, I'm going to say something on the side that some of you guys can take off wrong. If there's a neighbor nodding off or sleeping, just, just quietly rub their back. You know, just say, hey, hey, stick with me. Hey. And the reason why I say that is this. It's not because I'm important. It is not because I got some ego trip and I'm like, hey, you better listen to me. I'm talking to you. No, 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 no. It's not about me. What we're, sh we're talking about this weekend is the most important thing in the world. It's not because I'm important. And so I don't want you to miss it out for a little sleep. Because listen, hey, if we're doing your like, most favorite thing in the world, you'd be right up. So, and, and, and I get that this is not your most favorite thing in the world but I'm saying it could be. And so, 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 so lock in with me. And if you're like, man, I don't want to be here. Hey, you're here. So let's just make the most of it. All right. You're going to sleep another day. You're going to sleep tonight. Maybe. Right. So stick with me. So God calls him to go up to Nineveh. And throughout the passage, we're going to see this language of up and down directionally. And these are not only physical directions, but spiritual directions. God calling him to call up, to go up Jonah for life. And Jonah's going to keep going down, down to Joppa, and then he's going to go down on the docks and then down into the boat and then down into the sea, which is a spiritual reality of what happens for us. God calls up to us to life. And yet when we reject him, when we turn away from him, when we flee from him, we're, we're actually fleeing from life. And we go darker and darker and down and down. But when we trust him and obey him, even when it's scary and hard, we are rising up towards life, which is, introduces the significant conflict in this book. And that's this. 
This book highlights a battle between Yahweh, the Lord of the whole universe, and one of his prophets. And what's the battle? The battle is that this prophet, Jojo in our live production, Jonah, has a alternate view, alternate view of what would make him happy, alternate view of how the world should run, what is good, what is just, how should the world run. And, and if any of you guys know what that's like, have you ever had that thought, man, God, if I was, if I was you, I would do it things this way, right? Uh, if I was God, I, I wouldn't let that happen, or I would do this. See, see, Jonah has a conflicting view of what justice and mercy and what is good in the world than God. And because God doesn't agree with his agenda, his point of view, his understanding of the world, he's going to say, no, 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 I got to go my own way. And, and often we're like Jonah. If we can't see a good reason for something, because in this passage, God doesn't give him reasons behind what all he's doing. He just says, get up, go, go to Nineveh and, and cry out to him. Jonah's like, say what? Well, I, because Jonah can't see a good reason why he, he would call him out there. There must not be a good reason. At least that's what Jonah thinks. And that's, that's what we think oftentimes, right? Uh, if we can't see a good reason immediately of why God would ask us to do something, we, we think he probably doesn't know what he's doing, what he's thinking. And one of the biggest lies of sin that you and I all struggle with, me included especially, is that we believe that we have a better idea of what is good, what is right, what is just, what is most loving. So when, if, if you know your Bible at all, and if you don't, just understand this, in Genesis chapter 1 through 3, in the very beginning, God has given Adam and Eve, the, the first parents, this beautiful world of yeses and goodness. And then the serpent comes along and whispers in their ear and says, God, God doesn't really love you. He doesn't know what's best for you. In a world of yeses, he, he, he highlights one no. He says, God is, is not looking out for your best interests. Listen to it. You know what your best interests are. You know how to do your life right. You do you. God doesn't know. God doesn't know and he doesn't care. He questions God's competence. He questions God's heart. And, and the human heart believes. And we all, like Adam and Eve, were born with that same kind of skepticism. Same kind of warped heart when we're born. We're still good in, in many ways, but a warped heart that just has a resting disposition to question God's goodness, to be skeptical towards his ways, to think, we, well, you know, we, we, we would know better. We, we, we should have some reign. We should be asked what to do about this world. See, we, like Jonah, are a conflict with God's vision for our lives in the world. So God is calling Jonah up to his ways, and Jonah thinks he knows better. So we're going to unpack this more as we go on. But what we see, this language, is this term fleed, fleeing from the Lord. Now, I told you that this was written in Hebrew. This term fleeing from the Lord is literally fleeing from his face, turning from his face. What does that mean, turning from someone's face? This presence of God is, is called face so often in Hebrew. What does that mean? Well, let me use two quick illustrations to see if I can make this a little clearer. What, what do you do when you've severely let someone down that you love? Do you, do you like making eye contact with them? No, right? We, we, I, don't, I don't even want to look at you. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make eye contact. I want to, I, you, you turn from their face because you, you, you feel the shame, you feel the disapproval, you feel the 
the, the loss of trust, and, and you don't want to look at them. Here, let, me, let me use another illustration that gets another angle, but both will fill, fall short, but maybe will help you. Um, imagine there's someone that's talking to you, and you have no respect for them. What's one of the great, greatest signs of disrespect when you don't want to talk to someone? What do you do? Huh? What? Turn your back on them, right? You, tur- you turn your back on them. Hey, I'm talking to you. And you're like, I don't care. I don't respect you. Maybe you've done that to your parents before, right? You turn your back on them in a sign of disrespect. And so when we flee from God's face, we are disrespecting him. We're, we're saying, saying I, I know better, and I'm going to turn away from you. See, you can't have intimacy, a quality relationship with someone when you're not facing them, right? Like, I can't go on a date with my wife and be like, hey, hey honey, what's, how you doing, right? Like, she needs to see my face, and, and, and what does that represent? represents my heart is open to her. I'm being vulnerable. I, I, I'm with her. I, I'm facing her. And so, so when we are in proper relationship with the God of the universe, we're face to face. We're before his face. We're living before. There's nothing to hide because we're in obedience. We're seeing him. We're, we're with him. But when we turn away from him, when we think we know our own way, we're turning, we're turning our backs. We're fleeing from his presence. See, you can't really run away from a God that's omnipresent. See, so when, when we talk about presence in the Bible, we talk about two kinds of presence. We, we talk about a presence in the sense that God is everywhere all the time, and then also God has a special presence that he reveals himself, he manifests himself. So whenever you have a, a worship leader be like, Holy Spirit, you know, would you, would you bring your presence, God? Well, he's already there. What what they're saying is, God, would you manifest a reality of who you are, right? We don't need God to like just show up. He's already here, but we want him to reveal himself, manifest his actual presence. And so when you sin, when I sin, when I think I know better and I go my own way and I take the, the wheels of my life, I'm saying I know better and I'm turning my back and I'm fleeing from his special presence, his intimate presence that he wants to have with his people. When we say no to God, when we say no to the Ninevehs he's calling to us to go to, we're removing ourselves from God's special presence, relational, intimate presence. God didn't go anywhere. You know, so often if you walk with God long enough, you'll often have moments where you're saying, God, where are you? Where are you? Why aren't you near? And oftentimes it's us who walked away first. It's us who turned our back on him first. It's us who fled from his special presence, his face. We turned our face from him when we started to say no. And listen something, listen, listen. Did you know you could be a regular church attender, small group goer, Hume camp fanatic, and yet simultaneously be fleeing from the presence of God? You know that some of you guys are here and you're technically supposed to be closer to God than ever because you're on this like mountaintop and you're at this camp, but you're fleeing from God right now because you're saying no to him. And when I, was at, was, when I was growing up as a teenager, as a churchgoer, I was one of the best at this. I just made sure I was a little bit better than my friends. <laughs> We'd all watch porn, but I wouldn't do it on Sunday because I was like, you know, I love God and respect him. I won't do it on Sunday, guys. Hey, come on, guys. Come on, not on Sundays. Let's show some respect. I knew how to play the game. I knew how to give a little bit of money and do all these little things. But I wasn't living before God's face. I, was, I didn't have intimacy with the living God. I was trying to manipulate God to fit into my world because I still want to be God. 
I still want to call the shots. I still want to do my own thing. And so I try to play the religious game so I can put God in my debt so that I can play the game enough so that I can let God bless me and bless my life and bless my, my things and do, you know, I pull off one of those and have my Bible and all that stuff. And as long as I did all those things, I thought I could manipulate God to serve me and my purposes. We're going to talk about more about that tomorrow. But some of you guys, you're actually running from God, even though you're steeped in religious activity. And that's what Jonah was doing. Jonah was a holy man. He was a special man. He was a prophet. Not everybody were prophets. This guy's special. Dude's a holy guy. And yet he, though he may say yes to God in many different ways in his life, he may be obedient. He may have the right, you know, sideburns, and he goes through all the law in Leviticus, and he doesn't do all the other stuff he's supposed to do. He's saying no to God in one area. You know what we do oftentimes if you grow up in church, or even if you're not growing, grew up in church, is we think, you know what, God, I'm going to say yes to you in all these areas, so that gives me credit, so I can say no to you in this area. And as long as I say yes to you over here, then I'm good, right, God? Then I'm good. Then I got some brownie points, and I got some leverage, and I can say no over here. See, that's probably what Jonah thought. He thought that, you know what, God, I'm a good guy. I do a lot of good things for you, so therefore, I can say no to you over here. But listen, if you're saying no at all, you're still saying no to God. And if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And that is a significant thing that's hard for church people because we think that we can play the church game and we can say yes to enough things and then we're good and we can have this little pet sin. We can still be nasty to other people behind their back. We can gossip. We can look at porn. We can do drugs. We can do whatever we want on the side. As long as we say yes and all those other things, then God is in our debts and we're better than other people. And what we're going to see with Jonah is that Jonah perpetually has his eyes on how everyone else is messed up except himself. He could only see the sins of other people, but not his own. And I think part of the way that he lied to himself enough and deceived himself enough to do that is that he said yes in enough areas to God that he thought, you know what? I'm pretty good. I say yes a lot. It's okay if I say no here. I'm good. And you can see that Jojo even saying that. He's called out by the bee. Hey, what are you doing right now? He's disobeying right then. And he's like, no, 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 let's not talk about that. But look at those guys. And one of the dangers this week, listen, campers, one of the dangers this week is that you're going to have a temptation to be about, look at that person, that person. Hey, <laughs> did you hear that? Did you hear what the preachers? That's about you. It's about you, bro. It's about you. But if this is for us, this is for me. I'm letting this wreck me again. This is my second time preaching through this. I preached this in Hume Lake in California, and I'm asking God, meet me again in this. Help me never feel like I've mastered this, and I'm above this, and I'm, no, and I'm the righteous guy now. Now let's keep going. Verse 4, though he's fleeing from God, God is merciful. Jonah won't pursue him. Verse 4, would you read this out loud? But Yahweh hurled a great wind. So this is an important theme we're going to see throughout. This whole book is the power, God's power and his authority. And in some, you could just call that God's sovereignty. He has sovereignty over every area of the world, every sphere of the world. He has power and authority over the seas. Any of you have power to control the seas? <laughs> yeah. He has power and authority over the seas. And we're not talking about a little, little, little storm. Right? We're talking that the, the Hebrew literally talks about the, the, the ship is about to be ripped to shreds from the inside. 
So imagine a storm that is so incredibly powerful, so loud that you can't, what, 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 I can't hear, you know, your mouth is open and like wind's going, you can't see, and if you got glasses like me, you're like, I can't see anything, right, like we're talking that kind of storm. God hurls that upon Jonah and the sailors. Now, let's keep going, verse five. Would you read this out loud? Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God. Okay, you remember that language of going down? He's going down and he's passed out. This is no ordinary storm. And these mariners, these sailors, these experienced sailors know they're in trouble. So their first attempt is they start throwing stuff off the off the ship, because maybe if it's lighter, that water wouldn't so easily uh, capsize into it and sink them. But, but that's not successful, because they realize that this is a divine storm. This is not like any storm they've ever had before. And so what they start doing is they start calling out to their gods. And this is the problem with polytheism, is that when you have all these different gods, the gods of the sea, gods, gods of love, gods of war, is that you don't know which one you pissed off. So they're all like, all right, start pick your, go down the list and just start praying. Uh, nothing's happening with that. Go, all right, go to the next one. How about that one? Uh, nothing. Okay, how about that one? They're just going down the list, shotgunning, just praying out there. Save us, save us, save us. I'm sorry. We don't know what we did, but we're sorry. Please save us. They want help. They know they need divine help because this is some deathly, otherworldly storm. And what is Jonah doing? The guy is sleeping. Who's point to that person who would sleep through a storm that you know? Anybody in here? Right? Yeah, we, yeah, we all know that person who just passed out during a storm. And by the time it's done, they're like, hey, what, what happened? I had like a weird dream, you know? Like, <laughs> Jonah is passed out cold. And I don't know why he's sleeping, but, but I could speculate that maybe he's sleeping because he's trying to still further escape God. Because, you know, sometimes when you got problems and your conscience is bearing witness to you that something's wrong and you're not doing the right thing, then one of the best ways to just avoid it is just, just pass out. Go to sleep. Put your head in the ground like an ostrich. So he's sleeping. But I think this is also a spiritual picture of him asleep, spiritually asleep. Now, when you hear that Yahweh is throwing this great storm, maybe you grew up with this picture, maybe in the church or not in the church, with Oh, there, there, there goes God again, always angry, got to stick up his butt and just always mad at people, always throwing storms at people, always wrathful. I, I can get where, where you would think that, how you would think that. God's always pissed off in a bad mood. But remember, what is God ultimately doing and trying to do with Jonah? He's actually trying to wake up Jonah so he could send him to be an agent of mercy towards the wicked Ninevites. God is trying to wake him up for good purposes. God is throwing the storm at him to wake him up from his spiritual slumber so that he can bring life to another nation. God could easily have just done what to Jonah right when Jonah said no. Just killed him. Jonah says, uh, no, I'm going to go the other way. And bam, done. Just right, right, right as he turned his back on him. God could have done that, but God was merciful. Listen, God isn't trying to punish Jonah from his sin, but bring Jonah back from his sin. Listen, God is not trying to punish Jonah from his sin, but bring him back from his sin. 
And oftentimes it takes a hardship and experience of trial to wake us up. Sometimes we experience this hardship and we grumble at God, even question him and curse him. But, but sometimes, not every time, because if you read the book of Job, we know that sometimes bad things happen because there's other purposes and reasons, not just because you did something wrong. So get that out of your theology if you believe that every single bad thing that happens to you is a result of your sin. That's not biblical. But oftentimes, it's God trying to wake us up. Wake us up. And some of you here may be in the midst of one of the most painful seasons of your life. Maybe your parents are getting divorced. Maybe you've been through it at home or through it at school. And you're like, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this if you love me? And listen, God does love you. And maybe he's using it to waken you up to something greater. Maybe you're going through some temporary pain because he's trying to waken you up to greater realities. And that's what we see here with Jonah. I'm not going to say that that's the case for every single one of your situations because our lives are complex. But I'm telling you that that's often what God does. Now, verse 6. So the captain, would you read this to me? So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean? What would be so alarming for Jonah is that the, the non-Christian or non-Jewish called pagan, pagan sailor is echoing the same words of Yahweh in the very first verses. Awake, get up, arise, go up and call out. God is sovereignly through his power and authority showing, using this sailor to echo his words. Jonah cannot run away from God's face. Jonah can't run far enough because God is pursuing him. He's saying, get up and pray, and yet Jonah won't pray. Why? Because he has nothing to say. He's already decided he knows better to whip than God. He knows he's walking in rebellion. He's no, he knows he's walking in disobedience, so he doesn't know what to say to God. He can't talk to God, right? Let me give an example. Imagine I have a huge blow fight with my wife, okay? We don't, we don't really have those much. We, we argue and we disagree, but we don't really fight. But imagine I just say such cruel things to my wife, harsh things, things at the moment I say it, I'm like, ooh, I shouldn't have not said that. I don't mean that, but I said it. You know what I'm saying? You guys all said that? You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. I do it all the time, right? You say this stuff, I say this stuff to my wife, and we leave the conversation, ah, right? Walk out, okay? A couple hours later, come in. I'm like, hey, honey, what's for dinner? What are you doing? What's, what, how are you doing? Sits are coming over later? What would my wife say or feel? She'd be like, Sam, are you, are, you, are you crazy? How dare you? We, we got to deal with this elephant in the room. We got to deal with the fact that you said such cruel, hurtful things. You can't just go on like business is normal. And so Jonah knows this reality, right? Just like any healthy relationship, you can't just ignore the big elephant in the room. And so Jonah has totally rejected God, so he can't pray. He can't talk to God. What is he there to say? He's got this huge issue that he hasn't dealt with God first. Now, verse 7. So they said to one another, come. Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. A lot is just basically some, some form of gambling dice, some sort of way, pulling straws to figure out who, who did it. And they would believe the, the divine, you know, the gods would guide that process. And indeed, God did use that process, his sovereignty, his power and authority to reveal that it was Jonah. So Jonah is nailed. Jonah is caught. Verse 8, would you read this out loud with me? Then they said to him, tell us. All right, imagine the scene. 
it's a storm still. I mean, like, uh, like it's crazy. <clears throat> and they're ticked off. They're frantic. They, they're all going to die and they know it. So they're all like, hey, well, where are you at? Who are you? Where are you from? What'd you do, bro? Like, can you imagine how intimidating that would be? Like a whole group of wet, angry, tired sailors, scared for their life, just all like huddling around you. And Jonah's like, oh man, well, and they're just, they're peppering with all these questions. And listen to his answer. There is a ton to learn from it. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The, the word fear here is loaded with meaning, but it, it means a lot of things. But, but in part, it means deep worship, deep reverence, deep fear and awe, all wrapped in one. There's a lot here. I can't get into it. But does Jonah fear God? Does Jonah fear Yahweh? What do you think so far as you've been reading this text? No. If you're a careful reader, you're like, bro, you hypocrite. You don't fear Yahweh. Get that, those words out of your mouth. But that is the power of this book. If you had those thoughts, that is the sneaky, subversive power of this book that it draws out. I love how Tim Mackey, there's a quote on the screen, it, 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 it gets you. See, the very fact you are feeling superior to Jonah, you are falling right into his trap. Because what he's doing with this story is holding a mirror right up to your face and saying, oh really, you've never had a contradiction between what you say you believe and how you actually live? Really, you're superior to Jonah? Congratulations. You are also are asleep at the wheel if you believe that about yourself. We're going to see that more and more. But note the first thing that Jonah says about himself. What is this first? Can you keep the, screen, the, the Bible verse back on? What's the first thing that he says? What, what's that? Say that out loud. Whoa, 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 I'm a Hebrew. Before he says, I'm a worshiper of Yahweh, a lover of Yahweh, a follower of Yahweh, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I think that's significant. I think that's significant. I think that line right there, plus if you read the rest of the book, hints and gives you a picture at where his greatest love and worship and, and allegiances are. Jonah's greatest treasure in this world, his greatest love is not God, it's not Yahweh, it's being a Hebrew. It's being an Israelite. It's love for country, love for his homeland. He's kind of like some of those people from different parts of the country, right? If you've ever met someone who's Swedish, you ask them, hey, are you, what are you? Well, they're like, well, I'm Swedish, so I'm Lutheran. They're like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, you talk to someone who's Irish. What are you? Well, I am Catholic because I'm Irish. Oh, okay. They're one in the same. There is a phenomenon that happens throughout the whole world, or you're from the South. Hey, what are you? Well, I'm Baptist. Why? Because I'm Southern. That's what I am. That's what we are. That's what our people do. And what we subtly do is we mix love for our culture, our country, with love for God, and they become one and the same. And some of you here are like that. You are Christian because you're supposed to be a Christian because your parents are Christian, and you grew up as a Christian, and you guys have that as part of your culture, and so you've never really thought about the claims of Christ deeply. You've just kind of inherited it, because that's what you're supposed to be. You're a Christian, and maybe that's one of the reasons why 
the church is known for such hypocrisy. It's because we've got a lot of people who culturally embrace the values, but they don't actually own the values in their heart. They don't know it. They got baptized because they felt the pressure from all their parents, and suddenly they just went through the motions, and they knew how to play the game, and then they grow up. And you know what happens to a lot of those people? Is they fall away from Christ because they ever, never knew Christ. Because what they did is they adapted to their culture. Because if you grow up, and everybody in your culture is about Jesus, then what are you going to be about? Jesus, even if your heart doesn't care about Jesus. Because that's, a, that's, a, that's just a defense mechanism to survive, right? If you want to socially survive, you're going to be what everyone else in your culture is. But what happens to that same Awana boy, Awana girl, homeschool Christian kid the moment they go outside of high school and they go to college and the culture is no longer about Jesus, Right? We're like, how did all these kids walk away from Christ? Well, because they never knew Christ, because they just adapted to the culture. And the moment they go to another secular school that doesn't celebrate Jesus as center, and that's not part of the culture, then they just become whatever the culture cares about. So, so then they just, they come home for Thanksgiving. They start saying stuff like, oh, my truth. I got my truth, mom. And, and, and they got their own way to do things because they just adopt, adapted to whatever the culture is. And I really, really want you to be delivered if that's you. Some of you guys have the culture of Christ, but you don't actually know the Christ of the culture. And I'm sorry because a lot of it has been, some of it has been the fault of your families and your churches where they didn't really care if you knew him. They just wanted you to look like you knew him. And I want you to know him. He's so much better than you know. One final comment that's so funny is that God is the Lord of heaven and sea. And yet who runs from a God of the sea on a ship? And these guys know and realize that what Jonah did is absolute lunacy. They freak out. They get what big deal it is. And I'm about to land the plane. I know this is late. Verse 10. Would you read this out loud? I know some of you guys, I know it's a long night, day. I don't know where you've come from. So stick with me one more for a few more minutes. Verse 10 with me. Then the men. You hear a theme that you'll see, you see a theme right here that the sailors who don't know Yahweh from Adam are more awake to reality than Jonah is. They get, do you realize what you've done, you idiot? You're running from the God of heaven and earth and the land and the sea on a freaking boat. What is wrong with you, man? Don't piss off that God. Don't flee from him. That's lunacy. You've doomed us with your disobedience. And so the pagans feel the weight. Jonah, your sin is costing us our lives. And that is an important principle because we often think in our culture, we have, a, we have a, a saying that as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. Do whatever you want. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, keep it secret. Do your thing. Do your truth. Do your whatever makes you happy. But listen, whatever you do that is against the will of God, turning your face on God eventually comes back and gets you. And it doesn't just get you, it gets other people around you. And Jonah's realizing that he knows that more than ever before, your sin will always affect others no matter how hard you try to contain it, hide it, compartmentalize it. And Jonah's in this terrible situation because of his disobedience and his actions are now threatening the lives of an entire ship. Now listen, I've said this before, and we'll kind of land the plane now. We missed the entire point of this book of why it's in our Bibles if we're just viewing it from afar, saying, oh, look at that hypocrite Jonah. Look how despicable he is. 
What a, what a loser Jonah is. See, the point of this, a big point of this book at least, is that Jonah was fleeing from the Lord. And it's supposed to make us ask ourselves, are you? Are you fleeing from the Lord today? Have you turned your back on him? Are you turned your face away from Yahweh? What is your Nineveh that God has repeatedly called you to that you're saying, no, God, anything but that. I'll say yes to you in every other area, but that way, no way. I'm going to run from you. I'll do anything but saying yes to that. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's unforgiveness in our hard, hurtful, toxic relationship in your past or your present. Maybe it's some sort of situation or person you need to talk to. I don't know what it is, but what is your Nineveh that you are running from, you are fleeing from, and in doing so, you're fleeing from life. And this weekend, I want you to know that God is not passive. He's not just letting you run away. He's chasing after you. Are you running from his face? Why run from life? Are you spiritually asleep? Why stay asleep to reality? This weekend, you have a great opportunity for you to sincerely take inventory of your heart about these matters. These are the most important matters. I've said that and I'll keep saying that. More important than your future spouse, than your college, whatever you can think of that is important in our culture, this is the most important thing. I'm not the most important thing, but what I'm talking about, this is the most important thing. If you don't get who God is and what he's about and where you stand with him, you don't get anything. And who cares if you're the most successful kid in your school most likely to succeed, most popular, most beautiful, most athletic. If you don't know God, you don't know anything. And I mean that. And I don't say that in a harsh way, but I mean that's reality. Now, this whole sermon, this sermon, this first one, abruptly ends in verse 10. And I'm going to land the plane right now and just be done. But let me just end with this one little glimmer of hope. There was someone else in the Bible who was asleep on the boat on a boat. Anyone think of that? Jesus. All right, church kids, Jesus, come in the clutch. But unlike Jonah, Jesus is not running from God's call or his will. Jesus is running right into the will of God. Unlike unlike Jonah, who runs from his enemies, Jesus runs towards his enemies. While Jonah is sleeping to escape and ignore reality, Jesus is sleeping at peace because he holds all of reality. While Jonah gets up scared for his life, Jesus wakes up at peace and calms the storms and his disciples down. And as we continue to journey throughout this book of Jonah, what you're going to see is how much we're like Jonah and how much better Jesus is and how that's really good news. So let me pray, and Maddie's going to come up. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this first session. I pray that as these campers go out for the rest of the night and go to bed and have talks with counselors and and with each other that they would be brutally honest and thank you that you can handle their questions you can handle their skepticism you can handle their hurts and you can handle their longings would you reveal yourself to them even in their dreams and would you work in them and show them that these words are true and faithful and if there's anything that i said that was not true did not represent your word that you correct me but if anything and everything i said is true and from the from heaven Let it deeply transform us. Would you continue to reveal yourself to us and help us all have open hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.